Welcome to the Unconventional Path, Entrepreneurship and Innovation Stories and Ideas. Hello, I'm Bela Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. Hey, Mike. Today's guest on a podcast is Jeremy Slate. He is a fellow podcaster, founder of Command Your Brand, and an author. His book, From Unremarkable to Extraordinary, How to Ignite Your Passion to Go from Passive Observer to the Creator of Your Own Life, has some great insights. Well, Bela, you know, I'm always a little bit skeptical of self-help books and kind of the self-branding concept in general, but you also know that I always keep an open mind and I'm often surprised uh, at kind of the value that some of these books can provide on uh, some of these approaches to self-branding and things like this. And, you know, I trust you. You always do a good job of finding guests with an interesting and valuable story. Um, so I am here with an open mind and I'm interested to learn about uh, this uh, this command your brand idea and uh, and uh, going from a passive observer to the creator of your own life. So I think let's get right to the interview with Jeremy Slate and see, hear what this is all about. Sounds good, Mike. Let's dive right in. All right. Hey, Jeremy, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me today, man. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for being on the show. So uh, let me ask you a question. What, when you're at a social event, a, a non-work-related social event, and you know someone gets introduced to you, and then they ask you the question. They say, oh, Jeremy, very nice to meet you. What do you do? How do you answer that question? Oh, that's tough, man, because it's like the, I, I kind of live in two worlds. I don't know how to explain this, right? Like a lot of people know me because I've had this podcast for like eight years. So like they're like, oh, you have a podcast. Like how do you make money off that? Um, and then the other half of it is, well, I, I run a PR agency where we, you know, help our clients to tell a better story and, and appear yeah. on the right podcast. So it kind of, it's weird, man, because I'm kind of like toe in the line of what world am I in and who am I talking to? Yeah. Yeah. I always, I always think that, uh, that's a good question. Cause I'm always, it's, I'm always fascinated by people's response. You know, it's, it's all over the place. Uh, so you recently wrote a book and, yes. uh, the, the book is, uh, the title from unremarkable to extraordinary, how to ignite your passion to go from passive observer to the creator of your own life. Tell us a little bit about the two or three key takeaways in that book. Well, I, I think the, the, the really big one, and interestingly enough, the, the book was originally just going to be on adversity. And then I was kind of like, well, there's a lot more to life than that, right? So yeah. adversity and how people use it and approach it is a really big part of it because there's, I guess, a couple different ways people come into adversity. Like they look at it as like a victim of what happens to me. There's other ones that look at it for, <clears throat> this is going to be a difficult experience, but we're going to get through it and I'm going to be better on the other side. Yeah. So adversity is kind of one really big key takeaway. And it's, it's a viewpoint shift, man. It really is. Another really, really <clears throat> vital thing is education. I've found that in the, you know, gosh, almost 1100 interviews I've done at this point that the people that are really, you know, killing it in life. Um, I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but you know, they're doing well in life. Yes. They, they take responsibility for their own education. And mm -hmm. I don't mean from the perspective of degrees and things like that. Cause yeah, yeah. Like, I have a master's degree I don't use, but they are people that they go out and they find somebody that has what they want, then they learn from that person, right? They find a way to do it. So taking responsibility for their own education is vital to really making life happen. And if I had to say another thing, <clears throat> this is something I got from uh, former CIA director David Petraeus, is leadership and how you lead people. Because I think a lot of times people are like, well, this is my leadership style and this is how I do things. But a leader that is able to 
you know, look at people differently and understand the different way each person needs to be led, right? Like leadership yeah. is an individualized thing. Like what motivates you may not be what motivates somebody else. So yeah. if I had to say like big takeaways to me, there's, there's a lot, but those are really three big ones. Yeah, those are great. Those are great. So I want to dive in a little bit more on this education piece and sort of taking yeah. responsibility of that. Can you elaborate that on that a little bit more? Yeah. So there's, um, and they do this in the trades more. There's, there's kind of this idea of apprenticeships, right? If you want to be a plumber, you actually yes. have to be an apprentice. You don't have a choice, right? But, and the trades do this really well. Uh, plumbers, uh, painters, pipe fitters, like any of those things, you work for somebody for a period of time. Um, and then kind of once you become a journeyman, you go and, you know, either hang your own shingle or, or do something like that. Right. Right. And it serves two purposes. Number one, experience. Number two, discernment. Do I actually want to do this? You know, that's when people people look at the seminary. I don't think they always have the right idea of its purpose. It serves two purposes. You know, religious training, if you want to be a religious person or discernment, like, is this the right lifestyle for me? Yeah. So and I think apprenticeships is a really, really big thing that's missing in the world. In the Middle Ages, like you want to do anything you had to be an apprentice. Yeah. And I think we've kind of lost that. And I don't know if it goes before college, after college. I don't know if everybody goes to college. <clears throat> but I think work and, and kind of life experience is a really, really vital teacher. And that's one of the biggest things that, that I've really seen around education. You know, life is a teacher, experience is a teacher, but also finding people that want what you have and either working for them for a period of time, working with them for a period of time, building a business with them for a period of time. Like, there's so much to be learned from the actual doingness of something. And to me, <clears throat> when I look at everything I'm doing now, it's been from experience. And I yeah. think there's some really vital things to say about experience because education has two parts to it. There's the theory of it and the application. But I think in school now, we learn so much of the theory, but not what to do with it. And yeah. I think that's a really big key missing piece. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you really hit on an important topic there in the perspective that oftentimes we blindly go, not blindly is the wrong word, but we, we go through school because of we're driven, right? I want to get this degree, I, whatever it ha happens to be. Or because and, society tells us we have to, right? right? Right. Either society or our parents or whomever, right? So, somebody tells us this is the right thing that you should do. And we do that and along the way, we get no experience or no exposure to that profession that it possibly may be tr preparing us for. Yes. And then we graduate and then we go, oh, I don't really like this. <laughs> That's what happened to me, man. I came out and I was a teacher and I'm like, oh, God, I hate this. <laughs> and, yeah. and now I'm going to do this for the next 40 years. Oh, my gosh. And, yeah. and had my mom not had a stroke in my, my second year of being a teacher, I wouldn't have looked at a lot of that stuff. So I, that, that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one of the big challenges in our education system where, you know, there's a lot of societies where after high school and before college, you sort of take a year off and you sort of get some of that life experience. You get some of that exposure to various different things, uh, not just, you know, becoming an adult, but also maybe holding down a couple of different jobs, trying a few different things and, and seeing how they work for you. Yeah, I don't know how you feel about this too, but I like, I don't know, I, I, it, this is going to sound weird, but I've actually liked a lot of the manual labor jobs I had in my, mm. you know, college years and, and a little bit after, because I feel like number one, I learned a skill and Hey man, I can paint a house better than most professional painters now if I want to. And my wife wants yeah. me to, yeah. but, um, so you learn a skill, but also I, I think hard work has value. It has value of, you know, the mindset you get out of it. 
it has value in the actual real sense of accomplishment you have at a job well done because it's a job well done. So I, I think there is a huge like mental and spiritual and social benefit to hard work. Yeah. And, and I think the other interesting thing is there are some professions where there's a very bright and clear definitive line when you're finished with a particular task. Yes. And there are other ones where that line is kind of fuzzy. You, mm-hmm. you can always do more or you can do less <laughs> and, and you can still say you're finished. So I, I think that's another thing that that mentally we're not prepared how to deal with. We're, we're not prepared, at least I don't feel I was ever prepared in school to sort of deal with the fuzzy ending of when you're finished with a job. Mm-hmm. And and many of my things that I've done in my life have that fuzzy ending. You, you can always do more. You can always spend another 10 hours on that thing. And then after those 10 hours, you can always spend another 10 hours. So I think that's that's a skill that that we don't, we, we don't expose people to, uh, and, and get them comfortable with it. Well, and I, I think also at 17 or 18 years old, like, I don't know about you, but like, I had right. no idea what I wanted to do the rest of my life. And my career didn't even exist, you know, cause that was, um, you know, 15, 16 years ago now. So it's like, yeah. I, I think at the same time, like that's a big decision to make without any sort of life experience. So I, I think there's so much to be said for that. And I don't know if it's maybe a period of time after you get out of high school. Cause I, I, I don't like one of the tough things too, is I think we also go to school too long now. Mm. Do, do you know what I mean? Like you're, you're, you're in school till you're like 22, 23, 24 years old. And you know, a hundred years ago, somebody would have been working for five, six, right. seven years at that point. So I, I, there's some sort of a balance that has to happen. I don't quite know what it is, but I think it's more towards experience somewhere. Yeah. You know, the other thing I find interesting since we're on this education beat here, uh, is that some professions sort of require continuing education. It's, it's part of the deal, right? You, it, it, to be, to keep your license, you have to go and every year get so many continuing education hours, uh, and other professions don't require that. And I find that's an interesting dichotomy as well. Um, uh, and, and I think, you know, so again, taking back to what you said earlier about taking your own response, taking responsibility for your own education to making sure that you stay current as times and technology and the tools of your trade change. Yeah. And I, but here's the tough part about that too. Like, I think the requirement is important, but I think, I don't know if you've seen this. Like, I know, like, I know a lot of doctors, I know a lot of like professionals and people like that. A lot of them figure out ways to phone it in too, man. Do you, <laughs> yes. know, you know what I mean? Like, so I feel like sure because it's required, it becomes a rote thing. I, I think somehow you have to figure out how to continually grow but have it be something that you're interested in or something you want to learn or something that there's a benefit to you. But I think, but I think when it becomes like a rote requirement, like, all right, did my six hours. Great. I'll do this again a year from now. Yeah. yeah. But it, it doesn't, it doesn't enhance your skill set. So mm. I, I think there could be, you know, I guess, I don't know if more guidance is the right way, but I, I think there needs to be more of a, and looking at, well, where does my interest lie? Where does my skill lie? And how can I make this, part of my growth, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I've been in situations in the past where, uh, I was in a senior leadership positions and, and the organization I worked for required continuing education in sort of management techniques and stuff. Sure. And, and for me, it was one of those things that if they didn't require it, I probably wouldn't do it because I didn't, I was always busy, yeah. but since they did require it, then I embraced it and I said, okay, I'm going to, 
this week I got to spend doing this. I'm going to embrace this and I'm going to get as much out of it as I can. So then it goes back to taking responsibility for the various different things that, that you, that you need to do. So let, let me ask you this then. Do you think that your viewpoint and how you looked on that was important? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah that's my point, right? Is that I embraced it. So mm -hmm. because I embraced it, I got a lot of value out of it. I, I wasn't interested in just mailing it in. Well, I guess what makes someone embrace it then, right? Because um, I, I, that, I guess that mm. would be the thing to look at. Like what makes it something you want to embrace? Yeah. Again, just speaking personally, for me, it was something I felt that was important, not only for me personally to get those skills, but also for me as a senior leader in a large organization to be able to do that efficiently, effectively, and, and lead the organization in a, in a good, robust way. And you know, what's interesting too, like, I don't know, like I was terrible. I don't know about you. I was terrible at, at algebra in school yeah. and <laughs> I look at it now and as a business owner, I'm an incredible math person now because I have to be like, I can yeah. do proportions in my head and all sorts of stuff like that. I couldn't sure. do it in school when somebody required me to. So I think that that demand for mm. it and that reward for it are also really important too. Cause I think in school, we don't always see the long-term reward. Do, oh, do you know absolutely. what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of stuff. You I mean, when you take algebra, you don't have a clue other than solving these word problems, right? The train leaves Buffalo heading east and another train leaves Albany heading west. When are they going to meet, right? I mean, who's ever going to try to figure that out? Yeah, my, but, my best like math teacher in school was, a, was our calculus teacher. And he was a retired, um, I'm trying to remember, he worked for, I think, like um, an energy company. I think it was like Jersey Central Power and Light or something like that. So when he actually used calculus, he showed you how he used it in his job and it yeah. made, made it so interesting to me. Cause I'm like, wow, I could see how I could do this. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's another place where we could probably do a better job in, in our, in education. Uh, let's switch gears a little bit here. Sure. So, uh, one of the things that I, I read about you w was that one of the points you make is, is this notion, what's the difference between PR versus marketing versus sales. Now, you know, the intended audience for this podcast is fundamentally entrepreneurs and small business sure. owners. And oftentimes it's really difficult for them to figure out what those three different words mean and how best to use them within for the benefit of their company and business. Well, I, I think the, the, there's a really good analogy on this. And so when you look at it, um, PR plants the seed. Mm-hmm. And marketing grows the seed and then you have sales harvest the crop. But I think a lot of times people don't quite understand like the marketing and PR concepts. That's the biggest confusion between people. And when you look at the, the purpose of PR, PR is getting people to buy an idea. Mm -hmm. It's not getting them to buy your product and service. It's getting them to buy an idea. And if they know you, like you, and trust you, if they know what you stand for, if they know what you're doing, well, now they're more interested in what you're marketing to them. They're more interested in what you're showing them. So to me, it's under, understanding those two is vital. You know, like, who am I communicating to? How am I communicating to them? How do they feel about me? How involved am I in my community? And those things are all PR actions. And a lot of businesses say, well, I don't need those. I just need what gets me ROI. And it's like, well, yeah. what is the value of 5,000 leads that don't trust you? And that's nothing right? Because you're going to have to market harder. You're going to have to push harder. You're going to have to promote harder. So if people know you like you and trust you and they know who you are, they're going to make a decision with you. And I think one of the things that people struggle with too 
is understanding like, sure, my business has a PR department, but I as an individual also have a PR department, right? How do I treat people? How do I communicate to people? How do they leave me feeling? And I think when, because one of the things I hate the most is people say, well, you know, I don't care what people think about me. I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. And it's like, yeah. well, good luck creating personal PR that way, right? Like you have to always look at how am I leaving people feeling? What effect am I creating? What idea is being created? And is that idea going to then be able to be marketed and furthered? Do, do you get what I'm saying? Whereas yeah. I, I think people really struggle with those differences. Yeah. And so one of the ways I think about this is in the last 10 years or so, 15 years, uh, the internet and the ability yeah. to sort of manage your own brand uh, or manage your own company's own brand through podcast verse or YouTube mm -hmm. or all these other different social media things gives you a fabulous way to connect to your potential customers and build that credibility, build that reputation, build that persona that builds trust, right? And then people people feel very comfortable engaging with you. Mm -hmm. uh, so talk a little bit about that and your experience with that. And I think one of the difficult things too, and I appreciate you mentioning like what the internet sucks, I think it's also blurred the lines a little bit. Yeah, right? absolutely. Because we have so many numbers, you know, people are like, okay, well, how many impressions am I getting? How many people are opting in? How many people are then buying? So like we have a number for everything. And that's one of the really difficult things about PR is other than reach, there's not much you can quantify. Mm. It's one of those things that you know when you're not doing it and you're not always sure when you are doing it, right? So, and I think that's the, the difficult thing is the world's changed a lot, but at the same time, people are way more accessible to you, right? So it's <clears throat> understanding, am I carrying my brand and how I communicate on social media? Am yeah. I carrying my brand and how I communicate on a podcast? So because of that, you can actually pick the exact type of audience you wanna communicate to and I think when you're looking at it that way, it's it's understanding the world's changed a lot, but at the same time, I have more access to people than ever. But you can't make everything a marketing message. And I think when you look at mm. a lot of podcasts, the reason there's su there's such a like special vehicle is when else do you have a conversation that's 30 minutes, an hour? I don't know how many what podcasts you listen to, but I listen to Hardcore History, which sometimes can be six hours, um, mm -hmm. depending on depending on I don't I don't know how Dan Carlin does that, but six hours but you really get to build a relationship with somebody and it's not a five minute news interview. It's not a 30 second radio spot or whatever it may be. So people are able to build a relationship with you in a different way. And I think because of that, you're able to have deeper relationships with your public. And, and I think that's, what's really cool about the, the current market we're in. But at the same time, you have to balance out oversharing, if this makes sense, because mm -hmm. I think at the same time, people want to tell too much about their lives and, I think a little bit of mystery is also good as well, right? Like people don't have to know everything about your life. <laughs> right, right. They don't have to share everything. So uh, you, you also have a, a, a business uh, that's called uh, Command Your Brand. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what you do there and, and, and how you work with uh, various different companies? Well, I think that the human voice is, is one of the most powerful things, you know, we can really possess. You know, when you look at it, it's, you know, whether it's December 7th, 1941, or whether it's, you know, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, there's things that stick with us and we remember them because they're iconic. Yes. And when I look at what we do is we help people to really figure out what is the message that's going to impact? How do I ding that message in? And what are the right podcasts for me to do that on? So that's really what we help our clients do. We help them to tell a better story because voice is iconic. We help them to do it in the right places. 
and to make a bigger impact with that. And we've been doing that since 2015. So uh, what's a typical engagement with a, with a client? What does that look like? So we spend the first month um, really working on branding positioning because we want to figure out like, what does your brand look like? How does it communicate? Who does it communicate to? Because one of the biggest things we have to handle with clients is there's like five podcasts everybody wants to go on. And you have to explain to people like, is this about vanity or is this about impact? And we right. take a look at find it a lot of times it's about vanity and not about impact. <clears throat> so we take start like taking a look at impact. We take a look at, well, how does your public think? Who do they listen to? Who are their opinion leaders? What do they care about? So we really start to narrow down like who that person is that's going to make a decision with you. And from there, we, we take a look at what are the key messages. And I think people get confused in the idea of talking points and key messages. When you look at a key message, a key message is something that gets continually dinged in in different ways. You know, I talk about PR a lot in lots of different ways. That's my key message is PR can help people. So I find different ways to ding that in because I want somebody to walk away at the end of that conversation with, yes, this can help me. So what is the key message, the takeaway we want somebody to have? Um, and then from there, we help them figure out their call to action. Uh, we do a mock interview with them. And then from there, they're usually on a podcast with us for about a year. Got it. Got it. And uh, how has how has sort of COVID changed the way businesses should approach all of this stuff? It's changed it big time. Like, I know for us, our biggest growth year was the first COVID year because everybody instantly had to go online. And because of that, we were kind of ahead of the game because we've always been a virtual business. You know, I have employees, I think, in seven different states at this point. Yeah. So I think businesses from a couple different perspectives. One, I think they've had to think about their employees' quality of life a lot differently, if that makes sense. Because, you know, like, are they coming to the office? Aren't they coming to the office? Are we productive at home? So I think that's one part of it. But I think another part about it is, how does my brand speak to, you know, what's happening in the world around me? I think that's become a lot more important for a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs because now they're they're seeing that they're impacted by world issues and they have they're expected to have a viewpoint or an opinion or something on it. So I think that's one part of it. At the same time, it's realizing, well, what impact am I making on people by the statements I make and things like that too? It's it's so much has changed in the last couple of years. It really has. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what can companies do? to make sure they're prepared for sort of the next pandemic that's going to come. That's a tough one because there's a lot of different aspects to that. You know, one is financial, you know, mm -hmm. are you running, you know, how many reserve accounts are you running? We run two different reserve accounts in addition to our two main checking accounts. Um, you know, are you prepared in terms of like, if you could not go to your office tomorrow, how did your company operate? Do you have a plan around that? I think that's a really big deal. And a lot of companies were left really far behind on that because I can't tell you, and you probably saw the same same thing. I can't tell you how many people three years ago didn't even know what Zoom was. Right. So, right. you know, you have to have an action plan and have your team familiar with that. So, you you know, you're probably going to miss a few beats, but not too many beats. And I think the other part about it, too, is realizing you have to be flexible in your work style. And I think that's the biggest thing a lot of brands have realized is, you know, people are working different shifts. They're working different times. So a lot of them are working from home and some of them are actually more productive. So yeah. I think as a brand, it, it's having those things in place and not being, you know, we're never prepared for something that extreme, right? I, I, I think something financial is probably coming big in the next year or so, but I think the best we can do is be ready for that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting as, as you were saying that it got me thinking about one of the companies, large companies I used to work for, we had a disaster plan. 
But the disaster plan was like, you know, we lose electricity for a week or we have a flood or there's a fire in the building. Right. And right. we're going to have to relocate everybody for 30 days and we're going to have to figure stuff out. But this has been a, you know, two two year saga uh, at yes. some places longer. Um, and it really puts it sort of different perspective on it. It takes what you thought was going to be a temporary situation and fundamentally turned it in the way you're doing business. And, and so given that, how do you feel about companies that are now saying, okay, everybody, the pandemic's over, get back to the office. That's so it's tough from, from two perspectives. One, we've always been virtual before the pandemic. So like, you know, yeah. our company hasn't operated in any other way. Like we've, we have virtual staff meetings. We run everything by statistics in our companies. We, we've figured out how to do everything long before this is a problem. So, so frankly, I don't know a different way of operating. But at the same time, there's a lot of things that you can't do with somebody unless you're in an office, right? It's harder to train a salesperson if you're not sitting next to them. Yeah. It's harder to know like the mistakes somebody's making that's making something take a long time for them, making them struggle if you're not sitting next to them. So I, it's it's a hard balance. And I think what you're going to see, and I think some companies already went to this, is you're going to see a lot more modified work weeks. Like maybe people aren't in the office every day, but yes. they're going to be in the office a few days a week because there's just certain things that cannot be done if unless you're physically with somebody. Yeah. So I, I think we're, we're going to see a lot of change in the way we work because it was forced upon us. Yeah. Yeah. So as you uh, gaze into your crystal ball, <laughs> and and you were going to make, uh, you know, one or two or three sort of uh, predictions as to what businesses, entrepreneurs should sort of focus on and be really clear about for the next three to five years. What would that be? Well, I think right now people are pretty scared about the economy. They're mm. kind of scared about a lot of those things. So I think what you have to take a look at is what stability can your business provide people? And I think the next three to five years, we're talking about stability, man. Like, how can you help people outcreate what they're dealing with? Because they're dealing with a lot. And I think that is the key message that you can win with. But that can't be a hollow message. It has to be, this is exactly how what I can do can help you and can help you outcreate that. Because yes. it's harder for businesses to get financing. Um, you know, how people are employed has changed. Like, so much has changed. So I think right now, you have to show people you can help create stability with your company. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a real good one, Jeremy. Thank you. Uh, so I want to start wrapping this up. Sure. Uh, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you'd like to share with? Well, first of all, before I ask that question, what's the best way for people to find you and reach out to you? Yeah, they can find me on the personal brand side at jeremyryanslate.com. My parents named me after an actor, so I have to use my middle name. Um, or they can find me at commandyourbrand.com. Okay, great. I will make sure both of those things are in the show notes. And uh, so is there anything that I haven't asked you that that you'd like to share with our audience? Yeah, and I, I think the big thing is, is, and I talk about this a lot, um, I think how you take care of yourself is a key part mm. of how you handle everybody else around you because if you're not doing well, nobody around you is doing, doing well. So I think getting your fitness right, getting your diet right, getting your daily routine right, like those are things that, Without fail, I make happen for myself, you know, because if I'm doing well, I can show up better for my family. I can show up better for my employees. So to me, um, you know, I used to be a competitive powerlifter in my 20s. So I've kind of figured out what is that balance between doing way too much and doing enough. 
but I think you need to care for yourself first every day. And that's why I get up early enough to do it. I'm not a 5 a.m. riser, but I'm definitely up at, yeah. at six to make sure I do a lot of those things. Yeah, that's a great point, you know, because I, I couldn't agree with you more. If 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 you feel good and, and your body feels good, then sort of that that's 90 percent of being positive in your life. Yeah. And and I'm a runner. So you know, every day or every oh, other I just day. started running. So I'm getting there, man. I, I do weightlifting, <laughs> but I just started running. Yeah. So I didn't start running till I was 30. Um, but you know, now it's, it's like, if I don't run one, if I don't run a day, my wife will go to me. Uh, you didn't run today, did you? Cause she can tell, <laughs> right? So it's very addictive, but I think the point you make is really good. That gives you that sort of peace within yourself. And when you have that, you can, you can then accomplish uh, wonderful and great things. I, I would 100% agree with that because you know what? You're going to treat your kids better. You're going to treat your spouse better. You're going to treat your employees better. Yeah. You know, you can't give from an empty cup, man. You can't. That's right. That's right. Hey, so Jeremy, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, you were a really great guest. I enjoyed our conversation. Hey, thank you so much for having me, man. And and I, I hope, you know, your, your audience got a ton of value out of this. Okay. Bela, once again, you reinforced my belief in keeping an open mind. So I think that was really interesting. And I, um, there are a lot of things to think about there. What were your big takeaways? So I, I think a couple of things that sort of stuck with me was that marketing your business is so multidimensional these days. You know, it used to be you put an ad in a newspaper and you put one in the yellow pages. People probably didn't even know what the yellow pages are, right? But once a year, you'd get this phone book from the phone company because you only had one one phone company to deal with who provided your landline to your house. And once a year, they would send you a phone book. And in that phone book were people's phone numbers and their addresses so you could look someone up by name. And the back half of that was called the yellow pages. And in the yellow pages was all sorts of advertisements from people within that region, whether it be a barbershop or, you know, a butcher, uh, and you could do it alphabetically. And that was, if you owned a business, that's where you advertise. Maybe you took out some ads in the newspaper and you had, a, you had to have an ad in the yellow pages because that's how people found you. Well, today that's gotten so much more complex, right? Newspapers still exist. Uh, there's electronic versions of the yellow pages. I've seen those on occasion, but there's Facebook, there's all this social media stuff. There's, there's ad words and how to manage, you know, your Google search and all that kind of stuff. So it's really gotten complex and very multidimensional. So I, I think as a business owner, you, you, you really sort of need to think about that. And when I'm using the word business here, I'm also thinking of you as an individual because you are fundamentally a business yourself and you have your own brand and, and they're, they're, they may be intertwined for you. It may be difficult to separate your identity from your business's identity, but when the business stops, you still have your own identity and that, and that carries with you. So I, I think this is really, really uh, important to think about this in, in a way that you manage it and it's not managing you, right? You want to be driving this, this bus, so to speak, uh, and deciding where it goes you don't want the currents of the of the market or the river that you're in taking you places you don't want to go. Yeah, what, sometimes you what, can't steer. Yeah. 
Yeah, sometimes you can't steer it; it's out of your control. But <laughs> you right. want to try to steer it as best you can, as mo- mo- you know, as often as you can. I think, um, and and tell the narrative and and control the message. So I thought that was great, and I liked the distinction between PR versus marketing versus sales. I thought it. Um, that Jeremy did a nice job of kind of laying out this distinction and what it means for, especially for an entrepreneur that doesn't have a big marketing department or may not be trained in marketing. Um, so this, this was cool. He kind of sorted out some of the complexity of branding, as you said, and he made it sound simple, but I think he has it right. Kind of the best brands come across as simple and clear and, and genuine. And there's something about them that resonates with customers uh, that, that, that works. And I think, you know, it when you see it, but it's hard to, to, to find that. But if that you know that that's what you're looking for, it's easier easier to come up with it. Um, so yeah, so I think this idea of of trusted authority was really mm-hmm. interesting, and this idea of kind of controlling the channels as best you can with uh, language and images and concepts that um, are genuine and will resonate with people, and trying things to see if they work, and 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 not being afraid to adjust that message over time are, are all really good things for entrepreneurs to think about with with branding and with kind of finding their place in the world as not only as business people, but as humans, you know, it's kind of a neat thing. Um, yeah. I was also really interested in his perspectives on the U S education system. And this is a topic you and I mm-hmm. talk about occasionally. Um, we do a lot of apprenticeships here in Germany, you know, kind of you was talking about this old fashioned model of apprenticeships, but, but we do this a lot here and the system isn't perfect by any means here at all. And you'll get a lot of people here in Germany that will criticize our system. Um, rightfully so, but, um, we show that it's feasible here and that it has measurable benefits, not only for the apprentices themselves, but for the organizations that hire them. What's your sense on this? So, you know, I think, number one, I think it's very important in in any position that you go into. Um, and I can remember my first job out of graduate school was working for General Electric. And one of my classmates uh, who I went to, uh, school with, he also got a job at General Electric and he was a, a finance major. And he got into this program at General Electric. I, I think it was, it had some acronym for it, but it was basically an apprenticeship program. Uh, and person had a master's degree in, in finance and they went and did assignments at various different divisions and departments within General Electric. It was a two year program, very structured. Uh, and you know, he'd go work someplace for four or six months and then he'd get a different assignment someplace else and he'd go work for six months. And, and so he'd get a real good insight into sort of financial management in a fortune 100 company. What are the important considerations, et cetera. And they didn't call it an apprenticeship program, but it fundamentally was. And I think at that time, general electric had several of these. Not just they. Ha- I think they had one yeah, for manufacturing programs. They called yeah. them leadership programs. They, they, they had they, right. Yes, they did have some. W- once you got into sort of uh, above entry level management, then they had some of these for for management and leadership, where they would give you these various rotating assignments. And when but I was at IBM, still, but they're still apprenticeships. That's the funny thing apprentice. is they just had a fancy name. Right. That's right. And and and. At IBM, they had them for for leadership. They had these leadership training programs where you go two years in this division and then you get moved two years in this division. Uh, and so you get moved around a lot to, to get this broadening, these general management types of skills and stuff. So I think they're really important. And so I don't know, I think for the most part, we've lost those even in corporate America. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly in small to medium-sized companies, they don't exist. Mm-hmm. And 
if if I reflect back on my education, you know, what college and university, I thought it was pretty good. But man, there were a lot of things that did not prepare me for in that in that first several years I worked. Man, I learned so much in that first five years I worked at General Electric on just sort of how to get stuff done in sort of the corporate environment. And and so I think it's important not just for things that we traditionally think about apprenticeships for, i.e. the trades, but I think it's also important for professionals because uh, college oftentimes does not prepare you for these things. That's why I think these things, the internships and these summer internships that you can get if you're if you're at university are really, really good because it's it sort of gives you sort of some insight into because when you're at university, you're in your own world, right? It, it's got its own environment. And you and I've worked there. We know they're unique and they're sort of, they are what they are. And you, you kind of make that transition from that environment into business and each business is different. So I'm, I'm a big, big believer and a big fan of these things. And unfortunately they, they have sort of vanished from the landscape, I think. Agreed. Interesting. The last thing I'll mention is that I also like this is emphasis on work-life balance. And this is the second guest in a row where we've talked about work-life balance. Not that you even asked it, but just that it came up. And this might actually be a good second to last question that we you ask people in the interviews is, what's your take on work-life balance? Because these two came up with slightly you know, different answers in, the, in this one and Jonathan J, EP 153, um, different answers and different approaches, but equally interesting. Um, so I thought that was that was really enough. And I think we can't say it enough. Entrepreneurs, especially, and a lot of our listeners I know are entrepreneurs or they want to be entrepreneurs, they tend to emphasize work over life. And there's lots of negative long-term outcomes from that. Physical health, mental health, relationships, um, substance abuse, suicide, you name it. Uh, entrepreneurs have higher rates a lot of times than non-entrepreneurs in, in some of these areas. So, you know, for all of the entrepreneurs listening out there, I mean, take what these two entrepreneurs, successful entrepreneurs have said and do assess the current state of work-life balance and do try to make adjustments that will make you healthy, happy, and a better partner, parent, family member, friend, what have you. And all of those will work together to help you be a better entrepreneur, right? You can't have one without the other. So yeah, agreed. I don't know. Yeah. Agreed, Mike. Well said. Cool. I guess on that note, looking at the clock here, it's probably time to wrap it up. So listeners, thanks for joining us today. We hope you found the episode interesting and thought-provoking as we did. And of course, if you have questions about what we've discussed, please get in touch with us. We're always happy to hear from you. Our email is bela.and.mike at gmail.com. And please do hit that follow button on your favorite podcasting app if you haven't already done so. And so until next time, signing off from upstate New York. See you all soon. Bela, thanks from over here in Münster, Germany. Auf Wiedersehen.